Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome back to the Souls Work Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Ho, and I am super excited to share with you this episode and conversation with my guest and friend, Melissa Vona, on attachment styles. This was such a deep, vulnerable conversation with Mel. And just listening back while I was editing the episode, I felt really grateful for her openness to share about her relationship experiences and healing process. It helps me to know that I'm not the only one who has gone through these kinds of struggles. I know many of us have, but having her on the episode with me really helped me to open up on a topic that I don't know that I really wanted to do alone. So a very heartfelt thank you to Mel. Now, before I jump into my actual convo with Mel, I want to give just a bit of background on attachment theory and attachment styles in case it's not familiar to you, because it's going to really help make much more sense of what Mel and I share. And then we'll get into our own personal experiences doing the work to move from more anxious attachment tendencies in relationships to earning more secure attachment. And this is all still, of course, a work in progress for both of us, but it has been really uplifting to see both of our journeys doing this hard work to break long-standing relationship patterns that don't serve us and to learn new ways of doing things so that we get to experience these more securely attached relationships. All right, so what is attachment theory? What are attachment styles? Here is as concise a description as I could find online. This is from mindbodygreen.com. So a person's attachment style is their specific way of relating to others in relationships. According to attachment theory, which was first developed by psychologist Mary Ainsworth and psychiatrist John Bowlby in the 1950s, attachment style is shaped and developed in early childhood in response to our relationships with our earliest caregivers. Essentially, our adult attachment style is thought to mirror the dynamics we had with our caregivers as infants and children. So I'm going to now share some descriptions about the different attachment styles and where there isn't a secure attachment. I'm essentially speaking to what can be considered childhood or developmental trauma. So I want to just give a gentle reminder to please take care as you listen in and that the invitation is always to pause or put aside the episode entirely if that's what you need to do for your self-care. So there are four types of attachment styles that the literature usually talks about, and I'm summarizing here from some of the content that Sylvie Kukassian has on her Instagram account at Sylvie Kukassian, as well as what Diane Poole Heller has on her website at dianepoolheller.com. I have learned so much about attachment styles and boundaries as well from Sylvie, and I really appreciate her nuanced approach on both of those topics. And the book by Diane Heller-Poole called The Power of Attachment, I thought was a really great read that weaves some of the trauma literature into the conversation. So I'll link to both of their stuff in the show notes. So one attachment style is called the anxious attachment style. You might also hear the terms ambivalent or preoccupied attachment. And people with these anxiously attached tendencies might have experienced very inconsistent parenting growing up meaning their caregivers might be really present and attuned to them at one moment and then not attuned to them at all the next. And this sort of like intermittent reward can lead to the child developing an obsessive focus on the other and an underfocus on the self. And the caregiver may have responded to the child mostly when the child's signal cry became loud, extreme, or when the child was acting out or was ill. So as adults, These folks might often be on high alert for external threats to their relationships. They might experience fears of being abandoned, struggle to communicate their needs clearly, and they may ignore the caring behaviors that they are actually receiving in relationship because they learned that keeping that signal cry or negative focus on was linked to survival. And by the way, we also want to remember that while there are these challenging aspects of experiencing these insecure attachment tendencies, there can also be gifts that are associated with them. Like these folks with the anxious attachment style can also be very attuned to others and really sensitive and highly empathic. All right. Second, the avoidant attachment style, sometimes called the avoidant dismissive style, is where 
quote, parents are tuned out, not present, neglectful, or rejecting because of their own attachment injury, work commitments, physical illness, mental illness, or due to familial restrictions and challenges. So the child is left to their own devices too much of the time without attunement, and their needs are often not seen or met. That's from Diane Poolheller's website. So people with avoidantly attached tendencies do tend to struggle with accessing their emotions. They might be a bit of the quote-unquote lone wolf and highly independent, but sometimes to the detriment of forming deeper connections with others. They might find it difficult to ask for help or support when needed because they had learned that their needs would often not be met. And because they had learned to shut down that more feeling, emotional side, they can be very much in their left brains, highly rational. And, you know, this can lead to great things like being very task-focused and getting the job done. But also when they're able to find access more to their right brain, which is more relational, perhaps through their own healing process, then they really get the best of both worlds. Okay, third, the fearful avoidant attachment style, also known as the disorganized attachment style, may develop because the person had a caregiver who was intrusive, abusive, or highly misattuned. And that could include, by the way, that the caregiver themselves were really fearful, perhaps due to their own traumas. And so whether it was that and or the child experienced the caregiver as scary because they were, say, abusive, the child then might not have felt safe to reach out. They might have felt afraid or unsure of what was going to happen if they did. Uh, You know, how would their caregiver respond to them? So these folks with strong, fearful, avoidant attachment tendencies can often have a mix of anxious and avoidant tendencies. So on one hand, they might really desire closeness in their relationships. But once they start to get more attached to a person, they might experience a lot of anxiety because that then activates those fears and mistrust from the earlier childhood experiences that they had. And so then they might pull away, which is more of the avoidant tendency. So with healing these attachment wounds or learning skills to mitigate this sort of adaptation to the disorganized attachment, a person, you know, usually becomes a really great protector of themselves and others and are very attuned to safety. And last but not least, there's the secure attachment style. That is kind of what we ideally want to strive for. People with securely attached tendencies likely had primary caregivers who were attuned to their needs and responded when they, as a child, wanted warmth, connection, and physical contact. And the caregivers did so enough times to give the child a deeply granted sense of safety, connection, and love. And, you know, if the caregiver were to make mistakes, as all humans do, they would be attuned enough to notice and then make the repairs needed to restore the connection. Also, these caregivers likely allow the child to explore and develop their autonomy while still being available as a home base for when the child needed to reconnect for security. So how this translates as an adult, these folks with strong, securely attached traits tend to have that healthy kind of autonomy. They're likely more trusting and collaborative in relationships as well as sensitive to others, but while also being attuned to their own needs and not neglecting themselves. So It's really important to remember that this isn't about boxing ourselves or others into one specific style or another. This is not the be-all, end-all, or the ultimate truth of who we are. Like, these kinds of frameworks and theoretical models are really meant to be potentially helpful guides to better understand our own behaviors and patterns and others' behaviors and patterns, but they're never going to be able to fully capture all of the nuances and complexities that make up one individual. And that includes the fact that we might more strongly identify with a particular attachment style in one relationship, but not so much in another relationship. Or within that same relationship, we might find that our attachment style shifts from one to another depending on the situation or maybe even over time as the relationship evolves. Okay, so that is a super quick overview. There's so much more info out there on attachment that also provides strategies for how we can navigate the challenges that might come with our particular attachment tendencies, as well as the challenges that tend to arise in certain pairings of different attachment styles, like the anxious and avoidant dismissive pairing, which is quite common. I have definitely experienced that relational dynamic a lot in my life, and Mel and I talk about that in this episode And, you know, that can come with a lot of challenges in terms of what can feel like or actually be conflicting needs, as well as different ways of handling conflict and communication. So besides Sylvie Kukassian and Diane Poole-Heller, here's a few resources for y'all to consider if you want to learn more. I took two online courses by Heirloom Counseling 
one on understanding the avoidant attachment style, the other on the anxious attachment style. I thought the avoidant attachment one was especially good. It really helped me to better understand and have compassion for folks who tend to have avoidant tendencies and learn ways to be in better relationship with them and support them if that is something I'm striving to do. Um, There is, of course, the seminal book in this area of study called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. I love the book Polysecure by Jessica Fern, although it does kind of focus more on folks who are exploring or practicing consensual non-monogamy. There is so much good stuff in there, even for individuals in monogamous relationships, because it really is about building secure attachment no matter what relationship structure you're in. Um, And the first maybe three chapters describes attachment theory as well as trauma in, I found, a really easy-to-understand way. I'm sure there's more great resources out there, but hopefully these ones are a helpful start. I will link to all of them in the show notes for this episode on thesoulsworkpodcast.com. And before I introduce y'all to today's guest, just a quick reminder that if you are loving the show, getting some helpful insights, or just feeling less alone in your own journey through hearing about another human's experiences, why not leave the pod a rating and review to support the show? You can easily do this by going to the leave a review page at thesoulsworkpodcast.com and either submitting a review right there on the website or clicking on one of the links to review the pod on either Apple Podcasts or Podchasers. And thank you so much in advance for supporting the show in that way. You can also follow me on Instagram at Jadito Images, and you can email me at thesoulsworkpodcast at gmail.com to share any feedback, suggestions, or inquiries. All right, so it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Melissa Vona. She is many things, among them a beekeeper with a business called Forest Fairy Apiary that practices ethical, sustainable, organic beekeeping with the ladies, i.e. her bees, and makes raw, unpasteurized honey. Mel has been in the farming scene for the past six years, and with that comes a background in horticulture therapy and herbalism. This year, she is working on a natural medicine line, herbal tea line, and a skincare line made from the natural ingredients that she grows. You can follow Forest Fairy Apiary on Instagram at Forest Fairy Apiary to learn more. I will link to that in the show notes. And Mel is also an amazing hairdresser, a certified yoga alliance instructor, and a Thai massage and indie head massage practitioner. And I personally know Mel through our connection with the farm that I live on. She's one of the farm business members there. And it's just been so amazing to get to know her within that community, to share food and laughs by the fire and chats about life and relationships like the one you are about to hear right now. So on that note, let's dive into my conversation with Mel. Enjoy. Hello, Mel. Welcome to the podcast. So I did introduce you in the intro, uh, read your bio, but maybe you can just share a little bit about yourself, uh, whatever you'd like our listeners to know, which I know is such a big question. Such a big question because I do so many things. Mm-hmm. So I guess in a short but not so short way, yeah. I started following one path in life in accounting. I went from accounting to hairdressing. In hairdressing, I got to expand, got into yoga, Thai massage, mm. farming, food, healing, beekeeping, <laughs> running programs, uh, horticulture therapy for seniors and here I am now, um, also doing a little forest therapy. Uh, recently I've gotten into just with this whole pandemic, seniors homes are kind of a weird space. Yeah. (laughs) And I've had the (laughs) immense fortune of experiencing some of what you do. Just had my hair cut by you. (laughs) I feel like a new person, a new human. It's funny for me to sit across from you right now because I just sat behind you yeah. in the mirror. And as I'm sitting here, I'm like, wow, the lips look so good. And I'm so happy with the way that they're falling. I love it. I love it. And your honey is amazing too. Like, yes, yes. Mel makes great honey. I don't make it, the bees make it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You, you facilitate. Yeah. <laughs> just their hands. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, we are here to talk about attachment styles, attachment trauma, you know, nothing too heavy here. (laughs) And, you know, some of our experiences around this. And, you know, I spoke in the intro a little bit more about what the different attachment styles are and stuff. But from our conversations, you know, I gather that we have both experienced a bit more of the anxious attachment tendencies in relationships, knowing that that's of course, fluid, and we might 
also experience some avoidant tendencies in certain cases or with certain people or secure as well. But I'm just wondering if we could start off by sharing kind of an overall picture of what that has looked like for us in terms of relationships. And I'm happy to go first or if you want to start, but just kind of like that brief overview, like what is it like to, you know, kind of be in relationships with perhaps these anxious attachment tendencies? What it's like to be in relationships with ourselves or to be in from our perspective in relationships with attachment tendencies? Mm -hmm. I would say you can, you can answer it in whichever way, because it could also, it could be like, how do we relate to ourselves when we're going through that? Right. And how do we see ourselves? How do we experience ourselves internally Mm -hmm. and then how does that also show up in actual relationship dynamics with other Mm -hmm. people and like so I mean we're gonna dive into all of that in this conversation but like whatever you kind of feel like starting off with well I guess my brain makes logic of my attachment style because that's all I've ever known Mm. so my brain tells me that a plus b equals c and I'm reacting in this way because of this this and this I understand that I'm I am in that attachment style. I don't know if that is because of my awareness at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. I then at the same time justify it. Mm. And then I'm able to either backtrack and change mm-hmm. it or sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in relationships where I was completely unaware. And it was something that I was learning and noticing and mm-hmm. being whoa, okay, I am in this state and I need to reflect on that. Totally. And I think I understand what you mean. Like, for example, tell me if I'm on the same path as you, but like when, for example, I might get triggered by something and then my anxious attachment stuff like comes up and I feel very like panicked about something or anxious, like that feels very real to me. That feels like there is an actual reason why I should be feeling this way Mm -hmm. and maybe that this person did something that I wish they had done something differently Mm -hmm. or they're making me feel this way Mm -hmm. and so sometimes that can feel like my response is justified Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. instead of maybe taking a step back and understanding that there's some things that I'm coming into the relationship with that Mm -hmm. actually kind of don't have anything to do with the situation or is not as reflective of like the way I'm feeling Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if that's what you mean yeah Yes, totally. Yeah. Well, so for me, like, I know I have usually been in anxious avoidant dynamics in particular in romantic relationships, because I know sometimes this can feed into like friendships and other types of relationships as well. But I really experience it the most when I'm with somebody romantically. And like clockwork, as soon as I have like an emotional attachment to someone, all of those insecurities flare up, my abandonment kind of issues kick in Mm -hmm. there's that fear of like they're gonna leave me whether actually leave break up Mm -hmm. or leave me emotionally Mm -hmm. and not really be here for me Mm -hmm. so I definitely have experienced a lot of that reaction where I want to like cling and I want to like reach out and I want to get reassurance where I'm trying to connect but it's with this like underlying tone of I'm feeling really insecure and I need you to like tell me that it's okay Mm-hmm. And when you're with like somebody who has a bit more avoidant tendencies, that can trigger their stuff, right? <laughs> and be like, oh, yeah, oh, this person's like too much. This person's like totally in my space. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and that can then obviously feed back into the insecurities that I have mm-hmm. because then they put up their walls and then they mm-hmm. like kind of like push me away, keep mm-hmm. me at a distance, mm-hmm. don't really comfort me or aren't there to like hold space for my emotions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think one of the hardest things I've had to learn is understanding, like, what my part in that dynamic was versus Mm -hmm. just being like, oh, this person is, like, being unthoughtful or unkind or whatever, right? And understanding, like, how I'm kind of triggering their responses as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, like, this has been the hardest thing is, like, constantly falling into these patterns where that anxious avoidant dynamic is in play and then I'm just constantly getting my stuff reinforced yeah yeah what about you I don't think I've ever been in a relationship recently where it has been with somebody who's secure or Mm. it's always it seems to be always in that dynamic yeah I don't I think now I'm in a good standpoint where I'm not attracted to that but I think previously it definitely was 
I was unaware of it. And so I just kept repeating yeah. Yeah. and it would feel safe up to a certain point, And then that cycle would begin and I can see it. I could see it and feel it spiraling mm. until I was like, okay, what is the common denominator here? Mm. <laughs> Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is it that I am doing wrong to end up in these yeah. situations in the first place? How can I better show up in a space where that invites other people in that space mm. to better show up? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, just taking us back a little bit, if you don't, mm. if you're okay with sitting in it, yeah. but like when we are in that place of like seeing the dynamics, see, like feeling how like shitty it feels to be in that. <laughs> and yet, and yet, it's so hard to like see it for what it is, right? And there is that continuous like trying to make the effort to like make it work. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about kind of feeling a little bit stuck in there and like why maybe for you, like, you know, even though you kind of felt it was like not best healthy dynamic, why do we stay? So for me, I'd have to say it's, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail at this. I think that I am strong enough to handle it. Mm. I can show up in a way to support that person. But I am actually not showing up in that way to support myself. So I'd rather invest that energy externally so that I actually didn't have to invest that energy internally. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, for me, I would say I I stayed in something like that because I didn't want to fail because I really, really, really wanted it to work. Yeah. I'll be honest, sometimes I still have these like flashbacks Oof, yes. of being in that cycle <laughs> even recently this week you know like I will have that like oh my last partner my last long-term partner mm. and I was like was it that bad yeah. and I'm like whoa <laughs> girl slow down it was okay go through a b c d mm. why you showed up this way why it was this way how they reacted how toxic that is our brain does this beautiful thing about rewriting terrible traumatic experiences for the better. And, you know, or else you'd never get back on that bike if you fell off three times. Mm-hmm. And so just reminding myself that, okay, no, <laughs> this is my fear of not trying hard enough showing up and maybe telling myself that I didn't try hard enough. Yes. And I think for me, that stems from my me looking at my parents' divorce and seeing that Maybe I feel like they didn't try enough. Mm, yeah. So I see that coming through in me and in my relationships. And I'm like, oh, okay. I see yeah. you. Yeah. And I think too, for me, like a lot of shame. Oh, it's like I had so much shame around the way that I would feel and get anxious and the behavior that I would have a lot of the time. And like you said, like, I do have flashbacks oftentimes thinking back to certain really, especially my last relationship and thinking like, oh my God, like I must have made him feel so bad doing this or like, oh, like, why couldn't I have just been better? Like, especially back then, I remember I would be like, back when I was still drinking too, and I would like drink a lot to kind of like try to numb myself because it would just be so painful and shameful, but like I couldn't get myself out of the spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just would like wish that I could be better and be different. And so I think that's part of like the trying and I'm like, I'm going to try to like not let this affect me so much. I'm going to go do therapy. I'm going to change. I'm going to like, you know, and I think I have like developed so much compassion for myself and understanding where these things come from and knowing that sometimes that, certain dynamics in a relationship can feed more into that and it you know it's not always just on me but certainly sometimes I still have that bit of shame come up when I think about it and thinking about like what it have just worked out if you know but I do think similarly like I understand even if it just comes down to the fact that like I know what I know now and I didn't know it then and I also wouldn't know what I know now if it wasn't for that experience and it's not to say like oh I'm so happy for that experience because now I have this because it was still painful it was still like the loss was still very painful but you only have so much capacity and knowledge and ability and like wherever you are in your place at the time like that's where you're at right and where I was at at that time I had not worked on my heal on healing my traumas and like things like that and also like I probably did need somebody who 
was a more like consistently securely attached person to help me get through a lot of shit that I had to still resolve a lot of relational mm-hmm. trauma, you know? And again, it's not putting it on one person. It's not saying like, oh, some, I need somebody to like mm. help me in that work. But I do think a lot of times we put so much focus in us individually healing and doing all the things and bettering ourselves. Like as though like we do that in a bubble and then coming into a relationship, like fully ready to go and like totally untouchable and no triggers are going to affect me. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. I really don't believe it works. (laughs) (laughs) I really, it's like, it's that thing about you can read a hundred books, but if you don't actually put it into practice, the books just don't go as far as the practice does. Mm. And I don't believe in, you know, you should show up a hundred percent healed and you should show up in this bubble of like, you're untouchable. I don't think that is practical, realistic. Yeah. That's just my point of view on it. Things are going to come up. Healing is not like a straight road. I don't even believe that there's an end point. Hell no. I really think that it is a dynamic process and it happens for the rest of our lives. And we just need to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. And we need to then select partners or be in relationships that allow holding space for that. Yeah. Vice versa too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to put it on one person in the dynamic yeah I think it's both yeah two way street because I I would as well yeah or I don't know if this is what you were trying to get across but this is what I heard Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh I would as well like oh it's me I need to do better it's and I was told that a lot in my relationship Mm -hmm. by the avoidant partner yeah and yes I do take accountability for my point my side of it but at the same time There is another person and there is another dynamic and that needs to be held accountable as well. Totally. Yes. I always do think in a relationship, there is like each person working on their own individual stuff that they bring into the relationship. Again, doesn't have to do with the, like it's already there and they're bringing it in. Um, And then the couple working together, if it's a couple like working together, Mm -hmm. um, because then there's like certain, Things about, like, how do you resolve conflict? How do you communicate? And that will look different depending on, like, the individuals and the dynamic, right? So I always think it's all those parts. And if, like, only one person is kind of doing their work, but there may be the other person has some stuff, too, that they're bringing into it, then it's, like, there's always going to be, like, kind of this missing link almost or things that are going to always still be coming up where it's going to create conflict, but that person's not maybe aware of it or they're not doing anything to kind of like Mm -hmm. change anything on their end. So Mm -hmm. totally. I think that's for me anyways, that would be very important in dating right now is, is having someone who is willing to be emotionally vulnerable, be emotionally aware, um, and, and holding space for that and, and want to better themselves and want to better the, in the dating world, as soon as I see that people are not working on themselves, I step back. Yeah. I'm yeah. just not so interested. Okay, but what was the kind of like aha moment for your turning point, if there was one, where you went from kind of that old pattern <laughs> and being drawn into that a lot to now this kind of new mindset and approach to dating? Where was that big shift that started happening? I think in the last, so I've been single now for a year and a half, almost two years. Yeah. So March will be two years. Um, And in that process of like healing and then getting back into the dating world and looking and reflecting on myself, because I tend to just reflect first, I would say it came about four, five months after we had split. For me, it was about learning what my boundaries were because I absolutely had no idea. Yeah. Knowing and realizing what I wanted and what I needed, the difference, um, and being able to vocalize that. Yeah. And I remember the first guy that I dated when I did learn that I had to vocalize these things, it felt so weird. (laughs) It felt so weird. I didn't know. I like, I remember writing a lot because I write when I don't know. I remember writing a lot. I remember, you know, being in disagreements or, you know, it still took me about a month and a half to like break things off. 
and it was that was my doubting myself part, yeah. which always happens to me. I, you know, went through this month and a half and I would write and then we'd have disagreements and we were just not on the same page and not on the same level or not on the same page and not really working. I was working and he was like, you know, avoidant as well. And so I found myself back in that same pattern. And I remember sitting by a river and just thinking about it and sitting with it and being like, do I want this? Do I want to sit here? Do I want to feel this way again? Why do I feel the same way? It's a different person. It's a different situation. I have different skills and a different mindset. And why do I want to continue this? And I went to his house and we had this conversation and I felt so awkward (laughs) and so weird to like ask for these were you asking him to like change his part of the dynamic kind of thing? Or no, just... it was it was like just to stand my own ground. Mm. I was asking like I was asking for myself. Mm. I was like, this is what I need. Yes. And I had asked a month and a half earlier and it still wasn't showing up. And I was like, okay, I need to step away. Mm. But it took me that much time to like be like, okay, I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. And it felt really weird. And I remember leaving and I was upset. But then I reminded myself that I would be so much I would be in so much more pain if I let this go for a year two years absolutely you know what I mean I do and I was like okay that's <laughs> okay it's okay and it felt good after yeah. it felt empowering I yes. felt strong after I mean mm. in the moment in the first little while after but then you know an hour or two three goes by and I'm like okay okay and I remember even meeting up with him a month after just to solidify my stance mm-hmm. or my feeling. And yeah, it wasn't like that. I didn't feel any which way about it. I knew after that last meetup that like I, I had the right idea in mind and I was standing up for myself and what I need and I wasn't compensating and making excuses. And, and I was like, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Step one, done. Yeah. You know, the first confirming experience yes. is intense and then it kind of gets easier oh it totally does I was just doing my episode on boundaries where uh-huh. I talked about like how sometimes when you do that thing it feels so uncomfortable it can that you almost question whether you're doing the right thing I know it's like I'm getting goosebumps as you're saying it because I remember being in that feeling and I was like oh my god yes, yes. you know especially because a lot of times loss is part of the equation and loss is painful Mm -hmm. no matter Mm -hmm. how maybe toxic the dynamic was when you were in it but there was obviously like great things about you know the relationship and reasons why you stayed as well right so that thing about it being like uncomfortable and questioning yourself and being you know wanting to maybe go back and default to the comfortable thing (laughs) but then I feel like that self-empowerment does always come in if it's the right thing for you to do and then you're like you feel that sense of relief. You feel that sense of like, okay, what I imagined this would lead to is like, I'm starting to experience that now. So I think that can be really re- like positively reinforcing. So for example, like you were saying, those first few hours, those first few days might just seem very excruciating. And like, for me anyways, like I would just be feeling like, should I really be giving up this relationship because it just feels so bad? Yes. But then I think as that kind of like starts wearing off a little bit, you realize that you're not having to deal with the downsides of being in that relationship, yeah. relational dynamic with that person. Yeah. And there is that then that sense of like, oh, wow, like I don't have to do this anymore. Right. Like, and I say that with like so much love, honestly, because mm-hmm. like even as I talk about this and I'm thinking back to past relationships, um, multiple relationships where I was in this dynamic, like some of them are people who I really think were great people. Um, some some weren't, but like, you know, there's at least one them. person who like I very much loved and just still think the world of. So I say this with a lot of love because when I'm talking about difficult relational dynamics, it's not to say that like the person was bad or they mistreated me or whatever. It's just that sometimes I think two people coming into a situation, they might not be aligned in where they're at. Right. And again, it can just keep feeding each other, keep triggering each other. And I think at the end of the day, like for me, it was so much of like understanding that, like you were saying, when you said, Hey, this is what I need in order for me to feel like good and safe and comfortable in this relationship 
maybe that other person was just not able to meet your needs for whatever reason. And it has nothing to do with whether they love you or not or care, but that's just not what they are able to do in that moment. And maybe what they need from you is also like, that's just not what I can give you right now. Cause yeah. that's just too hard for me. Or that's not, that's uncomfortable for me. Or that's taking me, that's like too much sacrifice on my end to do that for you. And so it was like, it was a lot of acceptance and being like, maybe we're just not the right match right now, you yeah. know, as painful as that is. Totally. I would agree with all of that for sure. Mm. Yeah. So you already kind of touched on some of the things that you've reflected on and that you've been doing differently to help you move from, let's just say, let's call it a little bit more of the anxious attachment style to like a more like earned secure attachment as they would say. Right. Okay. And I know like, we're both right in that process. Like we've talked about, you know, we've shared with each other, like how some of these things are shifting for us, but we're also like, kind of like right in that transition of unlearning and learning new things. So I'm curious to know for you, like, what are some of the things, whether it is like tools or things you've learned or like relationships or practices or whatever it is that has helped you to make that transition? Because I know it can be full of challenges as well as like joyful moments as well yeah being still in that process I'm still learning with every engagement and dating (laughs) for sure um like things will always come up and I'm just taking the step back and really like not diving in full force because that was a Mm. bad habit of mine I would dive in full force and be like oh so excited follow my excitement yes not my feeling or my brain but the excitement just of go with meeting a new person having yeah. like that those fireworks yeah. and the fireworks <laughs> and the butterflies and then not even asking what the butterflies are mm-hmm. so really taking a step back a lot of writing yeah. journal a lot through it and what kind of things would you like reflect on well you mentioned some of it I'm just thinking too for me like reflecting on like what are some things that happened in my past that led to this pattern happening Mm -hmm. which I know can be a touchy subject and a tender subject for some people like I'm talking about going back to childhood stuff right but I think you know talking in the intro about attachment theory relating to what happened to us in childhood it's Mm -hmm. like sometimes that connection at least for me can be really helpful Mm -hmm. in just understanding and Mm -hmm. being like oh okay there's actually a rational reason yeah for this seemingly irrational behavior and the shame that I feel. And sometimes that can just like kind of relieve things for me in that way. Yes. Yeah. I do relate it back when I put it out either on paper or speaking to people and speaking to people also is very healing for me. Mm. I can connect the dots back to my childhood. Mm. And once I connect the dots, the, the dots back, I just, it like ingrains the awareness of it. Mm. And then I can see it forwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to know, too, because, you know, I talk about this, like, quite a bit on my pod where, like, I have done a lot of work in reflecting back to my childhood, making the mm-hmm. connections. It's been a process full of grief, a lot of crying, painful stuff. Um, but I've kind of found my way to doing it a little bit mm-hmm. more where, yeah, even with that, I'm not diving into the deep end and you know, potentially re-traumatizing myself, but doing it in like a safe space with my therapist mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious for you, like if people are listening in and maybe the idea of going back into childhood stuff, like interest them, maybe they mm-hmm. feel like, oh, there's some answers in there for me, but like the process itself feels a little bit scary or like uncertain. Like what are some things that have helped you to just even navigate that part of your healing process? I would say that looking at my parents, or not even my parents, but looking at people around me as wounded children as well Mm. separates that overwhelming feeling. It's more of a compassionate feeling. So I don't have that overwhelming I'm alone feeling in being so traumatized, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So in the last two years, I've microdosed with mushrooms and I find that that helps a lot Mm. with getting over the hump of where my brain naturally wants to go. Mm, say more. Where does it naturally want to go? And where does where does the mushrooms take you instead? So the neural pathways, it takes the edge off of looking mm. at my neural pathways or it takes the edge 
Reflecting doesn't scare me. I feel like I have a safe space with myself and with those around me that I share with. I'm okay with the dark and the light. Yeah. I'm not scared of that. Mm. Um, and I'm okay with that in other people as well. Yeah. Which probably ends me up in like these kinds of attachment styles in the past. Because I'm like, oh, I'm not scared of that. <laughs> yes, I do that. yes. So you get all kinds coming in because they're like, oh, I can feel safe with her. <laughs> but but <laughs> this happens a lot with me. Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not scared of that. Do I have to be more apprehensive when it comes from external uh, worlds, other people or relationship partners? Yes. Mm. But with myself, I'm not so scared of that. And especially writing to myself. Yeah. It, it's a sacred space. For yeah. Me. Mushrooms, I would say, gave me a little bit of movement mm. in the outward reflection of my internal reflection, if that makes sense. Keep, keep going, <laughs> girl. I want to know what is, what is. So recently what's come up this week for me is not jumping the gun mm. and taking a step back. And so not to jump the gun, what needs to happen for me? I need to state what is happening mm. just so the people around me understand um, where is that coming from? It's coming from always being defensive and tightening up, right? Just everything tightening up. Mm-hmm. And the mushrooms will allow me just to take a step back and be like, oh, okay. I don't need to get so tense. Yeah. A, B, C, D. Write it out. Mm. Okay. Mm. It sounds like it just gives you that extra little bit to just like relax into yourself. Yeah. It's not like you're starting out like all stressed out about it or afraid or whatever, but I would almost say relax into my environment. Gotcha. Because yeah. it's more the internal to the external. Internally, I, I don't feel I have a hard time with that. It's me, it's relating externally. Yeah. So gotcha. The way that mushrooms are said to work or what they found in studies is if our neural pathways are like, or if our brain is like a snow hill and it's, you know, as a baby, it's a fresh snow, mm-hmm. blank slate to mouth action is a neural pathway that's a sled that goes down the hill every time i do that action it's a sled that goes down that same track yep and it gets ingrained yeah and the track gets deeper and it's to help do that action faster right the, exactly. the more ingrained the track the faster the sled's going to go the less friction physical yeah so that's great for feeding myself uh-huh uh-huh uh 34 years in my world <laughs> But if that is 34 years in a bad habit, yeah, the mushrooms or the microdosing takes that little bit of edge off. It's like a light snow mm. for me to reroute my tracks. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's why I think when I speak, I speak from that mind frame about mushrooms, mm-hmm. about taking that edge off. It's just that little light snow. Mm. You don't feel it. It's just there. It just happens. I have been trying to quit smoking yeah, and quit smoking marijuana. And that has really helped with that because I'm looking at why I do those things, when I started, why I started, where those are coming from, when do I get triggered and go back into that space where I want to do that. Yeah. And it's become a lot easier of a switch for me to turn off. Yeah. In the last year. Mm. When I choose to, I turn it on. When I choose not to, I have more power, control. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of it being that like very instinctive, automatic thing of going down the track just because it's so easy now right or habitual yeah it is habitual Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so when it comes to working through the attachment stuff Mm -hmm. what does that actually look like for you like if I was watching you which I know sounds creepy but like you know if (laughs) if I was watching you (laughs) you're like microdosing on your mushroom you're gonna what happens like are you sitting there like actually gonna write stuff down are you with somebody like what does that practice look like for you I wouldn't say I'm so regimen on it or disciplined in it I think when I first got out of my relationship I did like a three-month period of microdosing mushrooms and that was to get me out of the mental state that I was in after that relationship get me snowed down enough so that or watered down enough where I could look at that yeah and and view it in a way where I wasn't getting so triggered Mm -hmm. or I was able to change those reactions or look at those reaction reactions from a bird's eye view yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. 
Um, and did you do that by yourself? Like as a, yeah. And, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just did it by myself. And I would just write. I would yeah. just write or sit with my feelings, become more comfortable. Um, if I was in a space with somebody, like when I started dating again, mm-hmm. and I felt like this feeling of tightness in my body, I would take a little bit. After the first three months, I really started using them very casually and less regimen mm-hmm. just because I didn't feel like I was needing that that hard, heavy snow so much. Yeah. It was just, I feel like today is a good day. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I don't really like speaking in microphones or speaking in about myself <laughs> or, you know. So I'm going to just, like, take that little bit of an edge off mm-hmm. and yeah, let it, yeah. Yeah. I don't feel them. I don't, I'm not taking enough to feel anything. Yeah. Maybe it's placebo. Mm. Placebo works. So <laughs> yeah. either way, I'm game. You're here. You're I'm talking. Here. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm not tapping as much as I probably usually would be. Like tapping on the table? Yeah. <laughs> or like fidgety yeah. or whatever. Mel, Mel speaks with her hands as an Italian. <laughs> I'm sitting on them currently <laughs> to stop myself. <laughs> well, I love that. And I'll, I'll chime in too by saying, because I'm, I'm guessing you would probably resonate with this as well. But I think one of the things that has helped me as well, because I've also been single for over two years now in between, well, I'm not really planning on necessarily having another like relationship per se anytime soon, but it's been two years. And I think what's helped during that time is always to come back to myself really reconnecting with the parts of me that tend to get really small and put aside on the shelf when I'm in those kinds of relational dynamics. And I've learned that a lot of this is me just learning to become small, right? I'm not, it's not because like the person is like denying me of doing things, just even in my last relationship, when I think about it, like he was very much like, go do your thing. Like, you know, but it was almost like part of the the anxious attachment style can often be that like at least for me I just tend to get really small I tend to put a lot of things aside that I once really loved doing because I'm so hyper focused on the relationship on being available Mm -hmm. right Um, Mm -hmm. especially if I feel like maybe my opportunity to connect is you know like I'm kind of almost like waiting around and being Mm -hmm. like ready right yeah Um, I agree with that yeah and I'm I'm more fearful of like doing things like going away like I do a Mm -hmm. lot of solo traveling when Mm -hmm. I'm like solo camping when I'm single but like then there's like this thing when I'm in that anxious attachment state where like I won't want to do that because then I know I'm just going to be triggered the whole time I'm gone you know what I mean like and so there's so many things that I am so fearless about and live my life in such a vivid colorful way when I don't have to be in that Mm -hmm. triggered state all the time Mm -hmm. that I really lose sight of and that so so much of me I think in my healing was to come back to that and reconnect to those parts of myself. But then now that I'm dating again, not like quote unquote seriously, as in like a one committed exclusive relationship, I'm noticing how sometimes I want to go, yep, want to like, Mel just made a uh, like a motion where it's like, you want to like close up again, you want to get small again, right? Where I'm like, maybe I shouldn't go away for that long or whatever. And I'm like, oh, like checking myself to be like, same old things and wait and when I really sit with it and reflect on where that's coming from I know that there is this underlying fear of like will they still be here when I get back yeah totally. are they gonna drop me are they gonna lose interest are they whatever uh, because that's all part of like how that anxious attachment thing got cultivated in yeah. me and so that's always there but like if I'm in a relationship where there is that secure attachment where there is that consistency where there is that like thing on their end that like makes me continue continually feel safe and know that I am valued and that they are going to still be there and they're not going to drop mm-hmm. me no matter what happens mm-hmm. then that gives me like the safety net to go and explore and be mm-hmm. freer and branch mm-hmm. out because I know I can always come back in mm-hmm. and there is that safe space for me with them so I really think that for me, a lot of the work has been also to not feeling small and doing the things that I need to do. I procrastinated beekeeping for years. Really? Yeah, wow. because I was like, oh, if I do this, I'm going to be super busy. Yeah. And then I'm not leaving room for 
mm-hmm. my relationship. Yeah. And because I'm putting in 120% uh-huh. and this person's putting in 60%, mm-hmm. who's going to carry the relationship? Mm-hmm. I can't do it all. I can't be a beekeeper and this and the yoga instructor and a hairstylist and hold this relationship 120%. This is just an example, but one of the examples of things or solo traveling Mm -hmm. or camping or any of those um, things that I really enjoy doing so much of, even painting. Um, So really getting back to that. And now that I'm in that space and I'm comfortable in that space and I have my world back to where it was and I feel strong in my world and I feel strong in where I am, at any point in this dating process where I feel like I have to sacrifice those things, automatically I'm like, okay, why? Where is that coming from? Mm. If it is coming from me, I have to look at that and I need to continue to do those things because I will not let myself slide back again. And B, if it is not coming from me and if I don't feel safe in this and I don't feel like this person is going to be there at the end of the day, that is a telltale sign that I'm not mm. going to engage in this. Yeah. I don't want to put too much reliance on their safety net being there for me, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. Yeah. Because I think I did that before and I don't want to end up in that same place where I'm like, well, why? Mm. I showed up for you in this way. And I left you a safety net, but yeah. you don't have that same safety net for me. I'm just going to continue to do what I'm going to do in my life. And that's not, that always comes with compromise. But I, yeah, I less want to leave them with this safety net like even mm. hearing you say that I don't need to pull this out but that's okay I'm like ooh, <laughs> that sounds like that's a lot I don't even want to give mm. that kind of power away right again and then I, I wonder I yeah no I, I totally get that and I wonder like how much of that if if mm-hmm. there is like kind of a blend of things happening mm-hmm. there like how much of that is coming from a very very valid place of like you know, of course, not wanting to like be codependent, not mm-hmm. wanting to put so much power in whatever that person is doing in order for us to feel okay about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So of course, there is like a very healthy thing of that, that I'm sure everybody wants in a relationship. And then if this is the case, like how much of that is that very also valid protective mechanism, but of maybe not wanting to get hurt again. Yeah. And where do we potentially not allow for the connector? I know, I know. I'm, I'm I, laughing because I know we've had this conversation yeah, about, yeah. I I always view healing for me. Yeah. I Okay, so let's say if it's a, what are these things called? Like a pendulum? A pendulum, yes. Yeah. So if one side of the pendulum, I was in the anxious attachment. Yeah. I feel like I have to go all the way over here before I could gear into the middle. Yeah. I, I'm a feeling type of person, so I need to feel, I felt this, I don't yeah. like that. And then I'm now, I was feeling this and now I'm like gearing in the, in yeah. the middle, but definitely I would say some of it is, mm. is the protection. the protection. And that, that, that yeah. is the protection is going to totally avoid it yes. or the fearful avoidant or anxious avoidant. And then coming back into the middle of being like, okay. Yeah. And that's where that self-reflection comes in. Like, where is this coming mm. from? Is this a big deal? <laughs> am I blowing this up? What am I giving away in this process? Yeah. And what am I holding? Yeah. And that process is so fucking like <laughs> nuanced and complex. <laughs> and like, oh, like so many things are coming up for me right now. But yeah. like one of the things that I was I was thinking about when you were just speaking your piece there was that that part about like not diving in the way that we often do right because we feel so much about this person we're so excited and like the fireworks and it feels so good it feels like we're on the same page and then as we both probably have often times experienced suddenly it's like a few months down the road and they're no longer walking next to us right like we've kind of like skyrocketed ahead because we didn't check in to see like well like are they really there to match like what we are giving into the relationship Mm -hmm. and that thing you said about like well I'm giving 120 like why are they not but maybe they were not wanting to or capable of or like whatever the case may be to be in step with us yeah and being at whatever percent we were at and so yeah so there's that (laughs) and then (laughs) and then also now that we are I think like kind of both navigating our dating lives and trying to find that balance trying to find that safety and wanting that connection but also Mm -hmm. still being like very protective of our hearts because we 
remember the pain and we mm-hmm. like it's just something we've gone through so mm-hmm. so many times in our lives mm-hmm. that of course we don't want to go through that shit again mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and maybe sometimes for me anyways there is that sense of like not fully being there where I maybe trust myself even because I find that even though I've met like a couple of great guys who very much are more like securely attached and I I mean you just fucking know when somebody is so transparent and communicative and consistent and able to hold your challenging feelings and like totally willing and oftentimes initiating the uncomfortable conversations like when a person has that kind of approach to a relationship like you don't even need to ask you don't have to even work for it in a way because Mm -hmm. they're already coming into that and taking the initiative and presenting Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. and I think it's like before when I didn't really have like I didn't know I didn't know that was a thing I didn't know that was like (laughs) I have not experienced that Uh, I have not yeah and when I hadn't experienced that yet and it's so new for me in a lot of ways although I was in a a really long relationship before where the person was very consistent but you know other things with that consistency yes the emotional availability and yeah yes yes and you know what it was like in a conversation with my therapist and also like another friend of mine who was like has also experienced a lot of anxious attachment stuff and then experienced what it was to be in that secure thing where that person was just so different from like the avoidant dynamic. Mm -hmm. But like, I just remember this conversation with my therapist, especially where she was like, kind of almost giving me an example of a conversation that I could have with a partner where they would be more than willing and happy to be with my insecurities that might come up and she like almost like gave me an example of something that that they could say and I and I was so like mind blown I was so like what people would say that like people you weren't sharing that because I'm curious what that okay (laughs) so I was telling her oftentimes like the thought of being in a relationship where I know that's going to flare up no matter what especially Mm -hmm. at the beginning Mm -hmm. I was like, it just feels way more comfortable and safe to just not even step myself into that situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even though maybe I might want that at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And she said, and there are people out there who would be more than happy to be there for you in those moments and to say to you, like, I, I can't remember her exact words, but it was very, like, comforting. It was very, like, it's okay and, like, I've got you and, like just like being like super supportive and I'm here for you like really kind words to like a situation where maybe I'm getting triggered and you know like my experiences mostly have been where it's kind of like I feel like I'm being too much or like I shouldn't be this way or like that like frustration towards it which is like so understandable like don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. but like I don't know that I've like to hear like so so much like empathy and kindness and being like, I'm going to be here to hold you through these moments. And I'm going to show you that, like, I got you and I'm here, like, no matter what it is you're, mm-hmm. you're feeling about us. And mm-hmm. I, like, just the way she said it, which was so much more profound, like, than what I just said. But, like, I, I was just very confused. Like, I was like, really? Like, people say that? Like, <laughs> yeah. so I feel like in a relationship, I show up in that way. Yes. So do I. So do and I. So for <laughs> yeah, me, so I. I believe that it is possible to have that in return. Uh-huh. I haven't found that, or maybe I haven't even let that hit. Mm. Maybe that's a little question. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well, to that, I do think, you know, and this is what I always think about is like, if I keep putting myself in these dynamics, which I may be instinctively drawn to because that's been my pattern, okay, mm-hmm. but once I recognize it and I'm like, oh, this again, you know, walking away for and now you're feeling the things yeah it resonates so <laughs> strongly when I feel like I'm yeah, in those dynamics now yeah, because yeah. of the trauma of them I'm yeah. just like oh this feels like this I don't yeah know. exactly but you know it's interesting how now I think we perceive that feeling that com- that comes up as like a sign of something's off here versus oh like I have to fix this dynamic I yes. have to I have to reach out. I have to like reassure myself that everything's okay. Now it's almost like we're taking that bird's eye view and being like, well, should I even feel that way in a relationship in the first place? Especially when it's like new, whether it's new or not, but like, should it feel that hard? Should I be doing this much emotional labor around it? And I do think we're going to probably have to do some of that anyways, because we have a lot of stuff, but 
I do think when we are in a relationship where somebody can be there and hold space for that and is consistent and is, you know, all of those things that it it will feel different just even navigating Mm -hmm. those uncomfortable Mm -hmm. feelings. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that there will be less shame around it. I think with time and repeated occurrences, there will just be more. And, And sometimes, too, it's not even about how that person responds to you in those moments of being activated or triggered, Mm -hmm. but all the other things that happen where, I don't know, like for me, for example, like in one relationship that, you know, been dating this person where they will just bring up uncomfortable fucking conversations all the time. Like, because we need to have them. Right. And they're, 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 they are important things that we need to discuss. Yes. But it's like, because of that, I have zero fear of me bringing up things when it's hard to talk about when Mm -hmm. I feel insecure about it when I feel ashamed of something that's coming up for me I feel absolutely confident that this person can handle it and that they they have like that open ability Mm -hmm. to like be like your emotions are allowed and your fears are allowed right for Mm -hmm. me to ask the questions that I might need to and and not Mm -hmm. to be like this thing of like oh you're overreacting or yeah whatever so just things like that I think like just that open transparency that you don't even need to ask for it's already there yes Mm -hmm. yes so maybe just like for our last question um, in thinking about, yeah, these new dating situations. And I think we talked a lot about unlearning a lot of the things that I'm always talking about this, right? Yeah, I, feel yeah. like, I feel like it's, there's the first thing. And I mean, they're oftentimes happening together, these processes. But the, the one process of unlearning all the things that we've learned that have maybe not served us in the long run. Um, and that can oftentimes be a very like painful, uncomfortable process, <laughs> but very necessary. Um, and then that other process, though, of like learning the new ways, because it's not like just no. we unlearn and now suddenly we know what the fuck to do and everything no. we want. It's like, no, we've been so out of practice of like identifying our needs and like knowing what kind of relationships we want to be in. And, you know, I think sometimes even being in those relational, dy- new relational dynamics can be feel so uncomfortable. And <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt. You yeah, yeah. What's coming to mind is somebody not having a voice or having their mouth taped for a very long time. And then all of a sudden the tape gets ripped off and you're just like, ah! and you just yell whatever has to come out. And I feel like it's that stumbling of like, whoa, I need to re-gauge the yeah. tone and Right. Find your flow. Find your footing. Yeah, yeah. Get grounded. <laughs> learn the words. Yeah, learn and then relearn. <laughs> what is going on? So, what does that learning process look like for you? What have you found out about yourself? Discover that it's maybe been sometimes awkward, but like also maybe feels really good to be coming more into like your authentic self communicating Mm. saying everything and anything and I almost feel like yeah the tape is ripped off and I'm like I'm still organizing the tone or Mm. you know way it's coming out yes um it feels really awkward sometimes but who's around to receive that and who's not really makes a huge difference yeah showing up for myself Mm. really like digging my heels in and showing up for myself the pine tree example like really rooting down into Mm. the earth and like understanding what my core values are and what I really need Mm -hmm. um, and just for yeah just for our listeners like Bill and I were talking about like the analogy or like the symbolism of a, a tree that's like very grounded and then can you share the rest of it about the, the branches? <laughs> oh, if anybody's ever been to the Shields, the Canadian Shields, you'll find a lot of these outcroppings of rocks and these really old pine trees at the edge of the cliffs. Mm-hmm. And what happens at the edge of that cliff is there's a lot of wind. And the tops of the trees are whipping and there's wind and everything is moving. But the roots of that tree are so ingrained in the rock that it, the base of the tree is not moving. Mm. So when we're joking about this because we talked about this last <laughs> night, was yeah, really rooting my my feet into the ground, really understanding where I'm coming from, what's coming up, why it's coming up, mm-hmm. really digging into that, really digging into the rock, the hard stuff. Yeah. I would and also your values to. and your needs. Yeah. And like, yeah. What I need, like I didn't realize how much I needed communication. Mm. I was always sacrificing that. Oh, I won't sacrifice that anymore. 
Yeah. Where my hard no's are, where my boundaries are, what I'm willing to compromise and what I'm willing not to compromise. And then at the same time, in that same tree span, the upper half of the tree is spinning and whirling and moving and engaging with the world around it. Mm -hmm. So that's the analogy. um, (laughs) How that works in life is, you know, meeting these new peoples and and meeting new people, having new experiences, putting into practice what I've learned, practicing my communication, practicing uh, speaking up for myself in holding space for myself and then in turn if I can hold space for myself I can hold space for others Mm. and putting into practice like that yeah the things that I feel I value so much and you have been like you've told me some great examples of like how a potential dating situation or what started out as a day and that normally you might have like kept following that trail Mm -hmm. like you just very quickly put an end to that because you realize actually, this isn't what I'm attracted to. Like, yeah. Yeah. I can see it better now. Whereas before I would be very, because I wasn't aware of my pattern, I would just fall into that line and fall into that emotion and fall into that track on the snow hill. Mm. Whereas now I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I see this. Where do I stand on this? How do I want to engage in this? Mm-hmm. Is this, yeah. What is this? Right. And unpacking that and bringing that up and communicating that with the other person and getting their feedback and then also processing that mm. and sitting with it rather than like just going with it. Right. Going with like the knee jerk reaction yeah. or the feelings of anxiousness that might come up. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I always say that I think like a lot of what has helped me through my process is like learning and building the capacity to sit with uncomfortable feelings <laughs> because if we can't we will always bypass that and just yeah. go straight to the usual same old right yeah yeah until I feel like those become the uncomfortable feelings that you will not engage in anymore which is like ultimately yes the, I got my arms raised yeah, right now <laughs> That's like the perfect quote to end this on. Yes. Although, is there anything that we cover, didn't cover uh, in this episode that you want to share? Any last words for our listeners? I'm good. Okay. I mean, yeah, no, you share a lot. Thank you so much for <laughs> your you. openness and yeah, just being real as always. You know, I love our conversations. <laughs> I highly value them. I appreciate them. On or off mic. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, we're going to be back. Um, so y'all tune in again because we're going to be talking about unlearning beauty standards is yet another thing we need to unlearn. But yeah, this is a big like passion topic, I think, for both of us. So yes, in the meantime, everyone take care. Thanks for tuning in.